If you have a Bible, please open it to Proverbs chapter 7. As you're turning there, I do want to just uh, do some quick uh, additional announcements. Uh, one, uh, well, not really announcement, just more of like things I'm encouraged by. Uh, I've been looking at our Facebook page and I've noticed that there's just a lot more of you guys um, trying to find different ways to engage one another, uh, whether you guys are having different activities or, or online um, uh, discussions of sermons, stuff. That's, that warms my heart. Um, I think it's just great to see that you guys uh, do care about one another and you're figuring out ways and um, to minister to each other. Uh, so with that, I just say it just excels still more. Continue and keep doing it. Um, uh, I think that the, I think it definitely affects me personally when I'm away for so long, uh, and I know that it affects all of us as well. So I do hope that as you continue to, um, as we're going through this COVID-19 together, uh, that we just find ways, uh, just creative and fun ways to continue to engage and interact with each other. Uh, the other thing I just wanted to quick announcement, if you haven't read the, the post that I said, uh, usually my family and I are trying to do this regular thing where we go out to the park and you guys can meet up and hang out with us. Uh, but because of the fires, uh, we don't want you guys to have, um, you know, I, I think, yeah, we just, just, just don't go because of like all the smoke and everything. And it's, yeah, it smells bad. And um, my car have ash all over, so I don't want you to go out and come home and there's like ash all over you. So uh, we're not Catholics. Anyways, uh, Proverbs chapter seven. Uh, before we start, let's open up, open up with a word of prayer. Heavenly Lord, may you allow the Holy Spirit to teach us through your word and uh, cause us to uh, guard us and our minds and our actions from things that are uh, not pleasing to you. Lord, uh, give us the grace to be able to honor you in all things. We praise you in your son's name. Amen. Uh, if you are familiar with the ministry of Jesus, you'll notice that he actually uses plots. And I think even parables in scripture, as well as just in um, in life, I think we call those fables. Uh, it's cool because those things are designed with a particular purpose. It's a really simple tale that has a profound lesson behind it. And we love to hear stories. We love to hear um, people. Uh, t- I mean, I think that's why part of the way, part of the reason why we like movies and TV shows and books and stuff is because the Lord wired us that way. The Lord wired us to want to learn through stories. Uh, we, we, we see a story from beginning to end and we think about what the message they're trying to get at. Oftentimes those stories leave a, uh, leave, leave a resounding uh, message in our hearts, in our minds. And so we think about it over and over again. We think about the certain scenes and imagery that allows us to hold and grasp the truths that the story is trying to tell. And that's what Solomon is doing here in this chapter. Um, Proverbs chapter five to seven, it speaks on guarding yourself from pure, uh, from impurity, from the adulterer, uh, from the wicked one, from the foreign one. We're not going to go through chapter six, but even in the, toward the end of chapter six, it has this from verse 24, um, to keep you from the evil woman, from, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her capture you with her eyelids uh, for an account of a harlot one is reduced to a loaf of bread, and adulterous hunts for a precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom? Can clothes not be burned? Can a man walk in hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So it is, uh, so is the one who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. Solomon is trying to teach his son. He's trying to warn him, saying, you need to be mindful of the, of the adulterer. You need to um, guard yourself from that. And, but here in chapter 7, he's, he's going to tell a little story. In fact, if you look at chapter 7, verse 1, this is kind of from chapter 7, verse 1 
to five, it's like a prologue. He, he's talking to his son before he, he goes and, exp- and tells a story. And it, it should sound familiar to you. Chapter seven, verse one, it says, my son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Again, this introduction should be familiar to us because when we go through this um, Proverbs 7, actually even most of the first nine chapters of Proverbs, there's this recurring phrase like, listen to me, keep my commandments. And uh, Solomon here is expending more time and tries to teach and shepherd his son to guard himself. Solomon is trying to urge his son to store up the words and commandments that, um, that he's instructing him. He's pleading with his precious child to keep all that he is about to tell him. You notice verse 10 and verse 2 uses this word keep. Verse 2, keep my commandment and live my teaching as the apple of your eye. Both of these words, keep, is, is in, in, the, in the English, it's, it's, it doesn't sound as, um, it's not as strong, but in the Hebrew, it reads as a continue on keeping, always keep it together, keep it in your mind. It's not something that you hear once, but it must be something that's continuously going on in your mind after you first hear it. In, in verse one, he tells him to treasure the commandments in uh, in his hearts. Um, this word treasure is the same word, it's the same tense as keep, meaning that you have to continuously treasure. It's not something that you just put once, but you have to guard it. This is something that you'll have to do to keep and protect. You must always be continually and um, constantly treasuring God's word in your heart and in your life if you want to win the war against sexual sin. The question that you need to have in your own heart is this. Do you treasure God's word? We talked about this yes, last, last week as well, about the importance of treasuring God's word in your own life. I mean, do you really <clears throat> treasure it? Charles Spurgeon said this way, a Bible that is falling apart usually tells you that someone that isn't apart. Um, uh, this is just a little sidebar, but I personally fan of, a, of just having a physical Bible. A physical copy that's yours to own that you can uh, flip to uh, that you just know where they are in the in the pages of scripture if you if you just master it um, and you know what's more important than having a physical Bible and then again I'm not saying the digital Bibles are bad um, I use a digital Bible at times too but I'm just saying that in general if you have your own physical Bible it, it, it helps you in terms of you know, writing in the margins or even um, uh, having less distractions because you just have uh, your Bible. There aren't notification that comes up on the pages of scripture unless you're crazy and hallucinating. But generally speaking, the regular person is not going to have these things pop up in the uh, uh, you know, distractions in their, in their Bible, which is, you know, help you focus in, help you focus in. And, you, and if you read it to yourself, it, it helps you treasure it and it internalizes God's word more in your life. But what's more important than having a physical copy of the Bible is that you spend time reading and knowing God. And verse two, Solomon tells him to keep the commandments and live. And this is important for Solomon to say, what kind of parent doesn't want their child to live? And again, this is like a foreshadowing of what he's going to, he's going to foreshadow to this illustration of someone losing their life because of sexual sin. He's got the harlot, which is going to try and attempt to take his life. Solomon, before he gets into his store, tells him, if you want to live, listen to me. This is a term that's, uh, that we generally understand. It, it just means uh, the, um, that we need to cherish it. And you'll, you'll notice this phrase as well, the apple of the eye, uh, apple of your eye. This is a term is, we, I think we use it too in our, in, in, in our modern culture too. Um, it just generally means that it's just most important thing to you. Um, in Deuteronomy 32, uh, verse 10, Israel is described as, as in the apple of God's eye. Uh, this means that the nation as a whole is cherished and valued by God. It takes 
It takes effort to dive deep into the depths of God's word and draw out the precious life that is found in it. Sin, on the other hand, seeks to draw out and deplete you of everything that you know about God. Sin corrodes your mind, it, it messes up with your affections, and it turns you away from the Lord. You need to use God's word to protect your spiritual and physical health. Look at verse 3. Bind them on your fingers. <coughs> Write them on the tablet of your heart. Uh, this continues the idea of remembering. Israel was commanded in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 8, to keep God's commandments and, and keep on their hand and on their forehead. Uh, the idea is that uh, writing God's word in your heart means that you internalize it. It's something that you can't be removed. Someone can't take it from you but rather it's internal. It's somewhere that no one can um, sway, uh, can tell you any differently or, or rob uh, God's word because it's inside, uh, inside of you. Verse four, say to wisdom, you are my sister and call understanding your intimate friend. Solomon tells his son to make wisdom and understanding his best friend. This is a relational type of language. And we are to have this relationship with wisdom and the result of your wisdom, the result of having a relationship with wisdom and understanding is that you will have a biblical understanding of intimacy as well. We understand what it means to have, we all know what it's, what it's like to, have, to be in a good relationship with someone. Those that are close to you have the greatest impact in your life. Um, and there are certain people that, uh, that talk exactly like those, um, that, that talk exactly like, like, like they model after lives. Like I've, met, I've met people that you know, they're like a disciple and they start talking like them. They have similar hand gestures and uh, mannerisms and it's because they're modeling their life after them. Um, our friends, our the closest ones to us will do the same thing. And if wisdom and knowledge and God's word is, is friend, they look like our heavenly father. The one that values the one that you value will give you the most input in life. And if God is the one that you value the most, then he will have the, the most impact in your own life. God's word is the standard that we can measure our thoughts and our action. And it's interesting that Solomon uses the imagery of having the right relationship that will keep you away from the wrong relationships. Having the right relationship with God's word will keep you from, away from the wrong relationships in this life. In chapter five, he mentions having a right relationship with your spouse so that you can stay away from the harlot. Uh, in the opening section, Psalm is saying that having a right relationship with wisdom can, get you, can keep you away from the adulterer. A question for you and I is that, are you familiar with God's word when it comes to sin? Um, when you think about sin, the things that you see in, in, on TV or, you, or people, when you're talking with friends or engaging with non-believers and, and you see sin, uh, do you know that that's a sin? And where does it say in the Bible that is sin? Um, does your conscience get pricked because, because the God's word that's storing in your own heart is telling you this is not good news. Stay away. Keep away. Uh, this is the sin, uh, the, the wrong path to go to. Look at verse 5. For they may keep you from an adulteress, from the foreigner who flatters you with her words. By keeping God's word clo truly close to your heart, you will naturally keep your distance from sin. The inverse is also true, that if God's word is far from you, then sin is close, and you can't have it both ways. If you're close to God, you're going to be far from sin. If you're far from God, you're going to be close to sin. That's just really the extremes of, of our walk. Um, you can ensure your own safety when God's word is, is hidden in your heart, and, um, and you can ensure your destruction uh, when, uh, if God's word is far from you. 
But the adulterer is trying to keep you from obeying scripture. That's what all sexual sin is. It's always going to try to lie to you to make you believe something that isn't true. Uh, harlots or adulterer, the foreigner that's mentioned here, someone that wants you uh, to commit sex or have some sort of intimate relationship with them, but not really have any relationship with them. And if you think about it, that's exactly what every form of pornography is, is attempting to give you something that you think is real when it isn't actually real, with the assumption that there are no consequences because the relationship isn't real. This isn't a real thing. And the question for us is that, are we going to heed the warnings that Solomon's gonna to give to his son, or are we gonna be like this fool that he's gonna describe? Um, this fool neglects the word of God and, he, and his life gets destroyed. Solomon's warning here is in the form of this parable or story. Um, this may not be exactly the way it happens, but the warnings are true. The principle of how a person falls into the trap of sexual sin transcends time, and the real impact of the story can happen to us even today. This story is designed to help us give perspective about the path of the fool that leads to destruction because of sexual sin. Um, so as we get into the story, I'm going to just kind of I'm going to do it, I'm going to teach it the way Solomon is, just explaining the story. And it's going to be divided <coughs> in different parts, and then we'll end with an epilogue. Uh, so this is what you call the, the foolish man is someone that pursues sexual sin. Uh, again, we'll walk through it. So just sit back, have some popcorn if you like. I'm just kidding. No, you don't, you don't have to. Um, but yeah, but, but heed all the truth and all the warnings that are in this so that you will not fall into the, fall, follow the same path of this fool. So part one, act one, whatever you want to call it. Uh, path of the fool, verse six to nine. Uh, for at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice. Solomon begins the story by saying he's sitting somewhere and he's looking out the window. Um, a lattice is like the screens. I think the, I think the best modern illustration for us is like, you know, those interrogation things in those movies where like the guy could see, but then the guys, people on the other side can't look back. That's what Solomon is, is that. He's sitting on this, in his palace, looking out the window and he's saying that he sees this situation going on, but they cannot see him. Um, Solomon is in, in this story, it's kind of like this omniscience character because he knows details he can hear everything that they're talking about he can see the danger that lies ahead for this fool solomon uses this um uh, solomon sees something that's about to happen and he sees this car wreck that's that's, that's just going to happen um again if, if it's like when you're watching tv and you see like okay they do this this and this and the problems come you're like screaming at the tv oh don't open the door or, or watch out that's kind of what Solomon's doing he sees everything that's happening and um but the characters that he described doesn't know that he's watching them. Uh, this naive person, this uh, person that's described as um, a naive, he, he, he doesn't want his own, he doesn't, he doesn't walk on the same path. He, he seems to be by himself here. Uh, in verse 7, we see that, uh, and I saw among the naive and discern among the youth, a young man lacking sense. So he's looking out the window, he sees a group of individuals, and one of them is lacking sense. Um, he's, he's watching them and he sees everything. And this is some, in a way, this is a picture of what our Heavenly Father is like. He sees us, sees everything that we do, but we can't see him. God is invisible, but that doesn't mean that God isn't watching. Our sin is lays uh, bare before uh, the eyes of our God. In verse 7, he said, this one naive individual that is, that is young. And naive, it's basically someone that's inexperienced, someone that's um, just lacking sense. Um, lacking sense is a good translation in the Hebrews idea of someone that's just completely clueless. Um, 
remember how the first part of this proverb, I mentioned that the wise person has awareness and this fool doesn't have that. He doesn't have any awareness. He, he's, he, he's, he's heard about something and he's, getting, he's gonna be picked out among the group as a fool that, that's being drawn into sexual sin. This fool doesn't have the ability to have any situational awareness and it just goes about life without being mindful of his surroundings. Solomon here saying that of all the people that he saw, there's one fool. Uh, That's why we're talking about this in this this particular chapter for us as joiners is because I don't want you guys foolish. I don't want you guys to to follow the same path. I don't want to be uh, dumb. I want you guys to be wise and mature and have discernment on how to live your life. Um, and again, I'm sure some of you may be naive, and but it's okay. Naive is, can be general, but it, it, it's a decide to stay there, to continue to be a fool. That's that's the, the thing that I'm worried about. Again, it's not necessarily wrong to be naive, but you want to grow out of that. Uh, this word lacking here in um, the end of verse 7, a young man lacking sense, implies that this is something that you can actually gain. You can actually gain common sense. Uh, don't be naive, and in turn, you won't be a fool. What you are missing in your understanding of the world must be filled through diligent seeking of God's word. <laughs> Verse 8. Passing through the street near her corner, he takes the way to her house. This fool just passes through the street near her corner. He's walking on, the, on that side of town. Uh, you know what the implication of this is? The implication is that he knows where she is. And he's just slowly getting closer and closer and closer. Day by day, he just inches closer and closer to this adulterer's home. He might have heard about this individual and, how, and he has this sinful curiosity for it. What is this? Why is she so enticing? Or why are these people talking about her? He thinks by getting close that he isn't sinning, but little does he know his life is going to be ruined because of this. Sometimes I was like, my wife and I were uh, would see like a movie trailer or or um, a TV trailer, some sort of commercial for some film or whatever, and then I would be intrigued or my wife would be intrigued. And I would just go online and like you know those parenting things, like <clears throat> what uh, what's in it before you actually see it, and it's cool because they tell you like, okay, what what's in it so you so you know like what not to watch and there are things that i think was like oh cool I, I, that that trailer is really intriguing and then you read the ratings and why is rated that way and it's like okay i'm not gonna watch it and even for my wife and i there are times where i want to watch and i know like it's going to be stumbling block for her so we don't watch it or there's things that she likes to watch that maybe a stumbling block for me and we don't watch it it doesn't matter and i remember just even at grace there was a time where this was one movie that uh everybody watched and uh, it was like this in this film there's i guess there's like a lot of explicit um, sexual scenes and stuff, and the pastor found out, and like apparently a whole bunch of guys brought a whole bunch of the ladies to watch it together, and the pastor got really mad. He got he made he got he let he he asked all the ladies to leave the room. He got all the guys there. He just just went out all of them. He said like, how can you be such a fool and causing your sisters to stumble, and even causing one another to stumble? Now I don't want to be legalistic because I don't want to say like oh, what you can watch, what you can't watch. You need to discern yourself what is best for your soul. Um, there are sometimes people think that, oh, we should watch this because it's a good story, or we should watch this look, uh, because everyone else is watching it. For me and my family, we don't care. You know, it's, in, in, in the grand schemes, it really doesn't matter. Uh, sometimes people think, oh, this is a must-watch TV. It's all over social media or whatever. But, you know, fear of being out, FOMO, is a poor excuse not to guard yourself against sin. 
uh, what doesn't matter if you lose an opportunity part of some sort of conversation with uh, in discussion with po about pop culture if you lose goal and especially not time to do a lot of simple things this full here in verse eight uh, doesn't try to stay away but is moving towards it uh, this person is considered a fool because they put themselves in moral jeopardy even though they know it is good for them anyone that tries to get close to sin is a fool solomon makes this profound commentary that he is describing this person you can't fall into sin if you're not near first Thessalonians uh, chapter 4 verse 22 tells us that uh you need to be we need to abstain from even the appearance of evil uh, you can't get into trouble if you're not near it the fool in verse 8 gets really 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 close to sin uh, verse 9 in the twilight the evening in the middle of the night in the darkness notice that this man goes from <coughs> goes in the in twilight which is dark and then into the, into the evening which is darker and the middle of the night which is really dark and then complete darkness Solomon uses the idea of get things getting progressively closer and closer to sin. He's waiting and the time gets darker and darker and darker. The implication is that this fool waited in the corner. He was waiting. He did not flee. He just, he's just there. He, he waited there intentionally. It wasn't something that he didn't know about. He, uh, he knew about this and um, he just didn't care. A naive person can actually discern right and wrong and chooses the wrong path because a naive person doesn't think of the consequences of their action. That's what makes a naive person. They're not thinking clearly and thinking further beyond uh, what happened. Uh, they aren't thinking about the consequences of their own actions. Remember last week, we talked about the Joseph ran away. And this is contrast Joseph to this fool here. This fool stays. He stays, he's just waiting and then it just gets darker and darker. He's in the wrong place at the wrong time and he's just waiting for that time to come. Darkness is often in the scriptures described a place uh, where sin uh, is, is seemingly most secure. It's a place that we find ourselves thinking that no one knows. But yet in Daniel chapter 2, verse 22, it says that God can see into the darkness. He knows exactly what's in the darkness, and there's nothing that, that he's blinded to. There's no blind spots for the Lord. You think darkness protects your secrecy, but God knows. And just like Solomon is watching this from a distance, he sees what's going on. He's sitting there watching everything plays out, and so does God. Every time your thought life becomes corrupted, and then you act on it, God knows those things. And, and you, while you think, oh, well, no one else will know about it. Sexual sin seeks secrecy. Sexual sin seeks secrecy. Accountability, then, is the, is the best friend of integrity. If you want to guard yourself from sexual sin, you need to have people in your life or, or, or even like things around you to keep you accountable. If you have a computer in your room, be willing to put out put it outside in a public place. Uh, if you have your phone, make sure that like someone else can access it. You know, accountability is the best friend of integrity. You, you want that. You know, it's, it actually reveals a lot to me when people aren't willing to mortify their sin. When you talk about sin, they say, I want to be godly, I want to be mature. But yet when, they, when you bring up some sort of practical suggestion, they're just like making excuses after excuses of not um, wanting to live a life that's holy. As this fool stands here in the darkness, eventually the she appears and the adulterer shows up. Uh, if you want to be wise, don't stand and wait. Uh, run from sin. Run as far away as you can from sin, which gets to our sec act two or part two, the adulterer's tactic, verse 10. And behold, a woman comes to meet him, 
dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. Now a new character is introduced. She was foreshadowed in verse five and she finally appears. And in verse 10, um, she, she shows up, she's here. Um, if, you're looking, if you're looking for sin, sin will eventually appear. It may take some time, but if you're foolish enough looking for trouble, you will find it and sin will find you out. Uh, she's dressed to allure and knows how to know what to say to tempt this fool to fall into sin. It isn't, it, it isn't immodest in the way that we think when we think of, oh, she's dressed like a harlot. It's not that way. Um, but the point in her is, is that her, because back then immodesty was like, or what a harlot would wear is that they put something over their face. Um, whereas ours, like, it's the opposite where you reveal yourself more. Uh, but I think the point here is that her, that she's trying to use her image as something to show others that she wants to draw people to have sex with her. That's what she's trying to do. Her attire is designed to invite people to gaze at her. That's what she's trying to do. How you dress is oftentimes a reflection of, who you, of what's in your heart. And this goes for guys and girls. It's not just only ladies here. I'm talking to both the men and the ladies. Last week I spoke about how some of you may be intentionally speaking in such a way that uh, you're trying to lure people into sin. This week I'm going to talk about the same thing, but in terms of your clothing. Sometimes some people dress intentionally just to draw that type of message. They want to send that message out to people. They want other people to look at them in a way that is supposed to try to rile them up. Um, again, you some people like to draw that's a certain way to draw attention to themselves, which is a sinful pride. My old uh, pastor, uh, he eventually became pastor of DC. He's he told me once that he and his daughter were in a train uh, together in DC, and um, his daughter, she was like five years old, and or maybe a little bit four or five years old, and uh, she's like, "Daddy, Daddy, look, that lady's immodest." And and then the pastor, like my friend, was like freaked out and just grabbed daughter, ran out the train, like, just you know, they're gonna walk the rest of the way. Um, and there's something interesting about it. If a child, if, a, if you can tell, teach a four or five-year-old what immodesty looks like, then surely an adult should know what immodesty is. It's, not, it's a matter of desire to want to honor the Lord. Our desire should be, when it comes to our appearance, to keep people from stumbling and to encourage people to draw their eyes and fix on the things of, above. Uh, our kid Hughes wife had this pretty good general principle when it comes to modesty. It's called the preposition principle. Um, if a person can look down and see something and look up to you and see something or can see through your clothes, then you probably shouldn't wear it. Um, at the same time, that's the, the, the clothing. I do want to also give a balanced perspective in that um, just because a person dresses a certain way, if your heart is already corrupt, it doesn't matter what the other person wears. You'll be lured into moral thoughts and actions regardless of what the other person is because the problem isn't necessarily what's going on around you. It's rather it's in your, in your own heart. There has to be personal responsibility here. Just because another person is dressed immodestly doesn't give you a leeway to lust after them. Uh, your lust towards immodest, immodestly dressed people is just a reflection of what's going on in your own heart. Much like a person who has no desire for drugs, if you put, if you put a mountain of drugs right in front of them, it won't, it won't phase them because they're not, they're not um, attracted to drugs. In the same way, if you have a pure heart, no matter what is before you, you will be fine. Um, the only part for us is that we spend so much time dwelling on immoral things and being drawn to it than we do the things that are bring to the Lord or even, or even the horrors of sexual sin. Notice at the end of this verse, it says, cunning of heart. <laughs> this will be expanded upon later on, but the idea is that she schemes these encounters. Uh, she's cunning, particularly against 
her own husband by the fact that she spends her nights with other men and her ability to lure the fool to death. Um, verse 11, she is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain in the home. She's known as boisterous. This is a mixture of being loud and careless and unruly. Uh, she is a lady that's just wandering to and fro looking for trouble. The problem isn't so much about the volume of the person, but that this adulterer doesn't have any self-control. She is loud so that the attention is drawn to her. Again, there's an interesting contrast between here, this lady in chapter seven, and the lady that's in Proverbs 31, who's a lady that's, that stays at home and is quiet in spirits. Again, this isn't so much about proximity to the home, but the priority of life. The adulterer here wants to have fun while the woman that pleases the Lord is a, is a person that is a hard worker. Again, this could go both male and female. Uh, just ignore the pronouns and you pretend you are just watching this like Solomon. It's just, it's just a general idea of uh, any guy or girl who wants to keep drawing attention to himself. Um, they usually are like this. Uh, she is rebellious, which is often linked to loudness. And um, this person, this adulterer is always trying to find, find a way to fight for the sake of fighting. It's just rebellious. This, this is the kind of person, <laughs> this is the kind of person that wants to, <coughs> excuse me. This is the kind of person that wants to dishonor anything that, that, that the Lord has to say in any culture norm or even in, their, in her own household. Uh, the rules to the adulterer is just another challenge to overcome. Again, ignore the gender pronouns here because this could be men as well. And I think in the context of the church, sometimes what it looks like is, oh, well, you're putting all of these rules and that's legalistic. Uh, this is the kind of person that in the context of church that will try to keep pushing the boundaries while waving this flag claim, oh, this is, <clears throat> this is just Christian liberty. Uh, these people are typically the most vocal about their opinions in the church. And they're always trying to push the lines while trying to lure people into sin. Um, be very cautious of those who have always seem to have some sort of justification for their sinful behavior. Be very mindful. If you see someone, even in the context of the church, that's trying to always find, there's always some sort of loophole in the way they think about life. That's someone that you need to be careful of. <clears throat> 12, she is now in the streets, now in the squares, and lurks by every corner. Notice that is, notice how is, she is now in the streets and now in the square. One moment she's here, the next moment she's there. Uh, she keeps moving from place to place. She doesn't stop, and she's just looking, trying to search for her next target. This word lurk here has this idea of ambushing. She's constantly moving from place to place and trying to just lay traps everywhere to try to trap people. Um, this person is pure evil. This adulterer is evil. <clears throat> Verse 13, so she seizes him and kisses him, and with a brazen face she says to him, I'm going to stop there for a sec, she seizes him and kisses him. This is a physical dimension, and uh, this is the physical dimension of, of her approach. <clears throat> Just like how in verse 9, it speaks of, of, of the timing, of the time getting later and later and darker and darker. Now the situation goes from walking by the corner to standing in front of her to being confronted by this adulterer. It's being touched by the adulterer. It's just getting closer and closer. And now there, <clears throat> there's some sort of physical interaction there. This isn't to say that, oh, they're giving a high five and like, you know, high fives are bad. Yes, shelter in place and COVID makes it all bad, but for a different reason. Um, but what this verse is talking about is sexual in nature. It is designed more than just a salutation, but a message for something more. It says that she has a brazen face. This means that this person is unashamed uh, and this person isn't hesitating when she says what she has to say in verse 14. I was due to offer peace offerings. Today I have paid my vows. 
just she is some sort of God worshiper. Uh, and I think I've, I've shared this when I was preaching through the book of Jude and just in general, that sometimes the biggest threats isn't actually from the outside. It's from within. It's from within the people that claim to be worshipers of God. This person, this adulterer claimed to do a peace offering. A peace offering is designed for worshipers to symbolically draw close to the Lord. The sacrifices will be a picture of being close to God, that you have this meal with him. And the leftovers are supposed to be kept so you can eat it. So there's the idea that she's actually going to eat this meal that was offered to God with the person that she wants to have committed adultery with. She's someone that externally worships and does all the right things, seemingly right things. But in reality, she's, she's actually not a worshiper at heart. She worships her own lust and desires. She basically justifies everything that she does because of her religious activity, not to, <clears throat> it, says, it says here that I have found you. There's this intentionality and in, immorality. The adulterer seeks their prey. And it's, what's interesting, because earlier, so she goes from, from uh, like square and streets and she's, lurks in every corner. She's not looking for him in particular. It just so happens that she found and she speaks to him in a way that makes him feel special. Sometimes the scariest and threat are from the church. And I would expect uh, there are those even in the, in the, in the church that will try to lure people into sin. But what is sad and dangerous, sometimes the, these temptations are from people that you least expect. That's why we all need our own heart. I'm not saying like be paranoid about everyone around you, like, oh, we can't fellowship or whatever. But there are going to be people like that. You need to be discerning enough to know that they may use Christian lingo, uh, but you have to discern in your mind, is what this person trying to communicate something that's pleasing to the Lord or is it going to cause me to sin? Um, and again, I hope that you need, to, uh, you need to guard yourself. And then at the same time, there's some of you that might be like this adulterer. You're trying to bank your religious activities. You're trying to think, oh, I do all these religious things. I do all, I'm in ministry, I'm a leader, I'm this and this and that. But that doesn't make you immune. You may actually like this adulterer as you engage in ministry. Don't think that doing religious things is going to make you holy. <clears throat> Verse 15, therefore I've come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly, and I have found you. Notice the, the kind of lie she's saying, I came to meet you. Again, she's, she's trying to make him feel special. Again, we know that uh, before she's just going all over the place trying to find her next victim. This word presence earnestly, this is a very strong word in the Hebrew to mean I, I, I want to seek your physical presence uh, desperately. And um, it doesn't take much for a person to fall into physical activities once they are touched by them uh, or to push the boundaries. It is nearly impossible to go back once you're physically too far, but it is actually impossible to take back what you have done. It is imp nearly impossible, let's say if you were doing some sort of physical activity, to stop that physical activity, but it is actually impossible to take back what you've already done. This is why people that fall into sexual sin have always have guilt. Um, or when a person crosses the line with someone, they know that once they experience something, they, cannot, they can never undo it. Verse 16 to 18, I have spread, I have spread my couch with coverings with colored linens of Egypt. I've sprinkled my bed with mirth, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. She's basically getting everything ready for him. She's made the house comfortable or the room comfortable. She wanted to make it pleasant. This is exactly what you think it means. You must also realize that her home was prepared for him. That means 
that it wasn't like it just she walked in and magically appeared. This is something that she thought of. This is this is like well thought out. <laughs> she knew how this was going to end. And one observation that cannot be overlooked here is that this adulterer attacks and lures a person with every part, every sense that they have. There's a physical touch, temptation, food, there's smell through the spices, there's hearing through flattery, and there's visually through her appearance. The adulterer will use every instrument to lure you to be with them. This is why you need to guard your own purity in all fronts because sin attacks from all angles. You must, you can't leave one part of your your armor unguarded. There must not be a crack in your armor. There can't be any unknown paths into your heart. You need to be prepared at all time. Verse 19, for my husband is not, he has gone on a long journey. She's married. She doesn't belong to the fool and the fool doesn't belong to her. This is a consensual sin that's gonna happen and it's gonna kill this fool. In verse 20, he has taken a bag of money with him at the full moon, he will come home. <clears throat> the husband took a bag of money, which in the Hebrew means like bars of like like lots of silver, uh, which means he's going to be gone for a long time. Some translation puts that he'll be gone for two and a half weeks. Uh, again, this is thought out. So point being that she is calculating. She knew that if they were going to commit some sin together, no one's going to find out. In our days, some may use this uh, similar in that we you I've heard people when they're dating and they're struggling with purity with their own spouse to say they'll say things like well we're going to get married uh it's okay it's not that bad the bible doesn't say we can't do this stop being legalistic uh you, you I don't know you they'll always make this some sort of justification for sin um it's this idea that a person actually has to figure out <coughs> they're this person trying to figure out ways in which they're uh they can continue on with their life they continue on with their sinful pattern of life this adulterer here figured out how much time they need to partake in sin without getting caught or, or so she thinks uh, sin is very rarely spontaneous it is often filled with contemplation premeditation and thought a person that does not guard themselves of small battles against lust will lose their war uh, for their purity you are someone that's constantly dwelling on sexual thoughts and images with your eyes and your mind you are prime yourself to fall later on she this adulterer um, offers him what she has planned and he falls into this trap he falls into her tactics and let's see what happens next part three or act three of the next scene the death of the fool the narrate the story continues and we see verse 21 with her many persuasions she entices him with her flattering lips she seduces him suddenly he fall he follows her as an ox goes to slaughter <coughs> or as one in the uh in the fetters to the to the discipline of a fool until an arrow pierces through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare so he does not know that it will cost him his life verse 21 implies that it took some time to persuade him so, so he was waiting in the corner for a long time for her to appear and then she's just kind of slowly baiting him and says keeps complimenting him and just trying to say certain things that make him feel good about himself or make him feel like comfortable with what they're about to do he likes what she's saying to him and about him again what what do we see with this fool he doesn't run he's not guarding himself with god's word he just stands there and he hears um, this lady speak to him and he's just drawn to it 
That's why earlier on, Solomon says, keep, treasure my commands within you, keep my commandments and live. He, if you have God's word in your mind, I mean, in, in living in a fallen world in our sinful flesh, there's always going to be a competing influence between God's word, the new nature, and our old nature. If we're living in our fallen flesh, there's going to have that tension. You want to have so much of God's word on your side that it will just drown out the voice of temptation. Perhaps uh, this fool here at one point, maybe he had second thoughts, maybe he felt convicted, conflicted with different things, but in the end, her word swayed him. She's trying to persuade him, and he gives in. What is so tragic about this is that he could have still escaped. Could have escaped, right? I mean, it said um, in verse 22, suddenly he follows her. Um, he had opportunities to get out of this. Even up to the point, nothing has happened yet. You can be tempted and not fall into sin. This was going on. He was keeping tempted and tempted. Yet he didn't think rationally. He had these moments to, to get out of there, but he doesn't. And some of you are in, this, are in the same position as this fool here. You're in a position where you have opportunity to run from sexual sin. God has given you the escape, and you need to take it before it's too late. Don't be a fool and continue to allow yourself to fall into sexual sin. Run for your spiritual life is at stake. Don't be, uh, don't be talked into any form of sexual sin. Don't think, oh, well, if someone tells you, oh, this is fine. What's the problem? We're going to get married. Um, be aware of the flirt because the flirts, all flirts, are liars. They lie about you. They lie to you about their goals. And the moment after they lie with you, they're just going to look for someone else. Verse 22, suddenly falls her, and, he, and, he, and he's just basically, this ox is just, he's just going to get killed. Um, it, is, it is a progression of what happens when someone doesn't move far from sin. There's a moment that he was safe, and he's no longer safe. Or this person has forgotten instruction, chose not to follow God's word. In the end, he gives in and death comes. Although it is a surprise for the animal to be in the slaughterhouse, uh, this isn't so for the fool. The fool is lured into this. He knows he's being lured, but he doesn't think far enough to wonder what after they commit the sin together. Does someone count the, cons the cost or think about the consequences of their action? This phrase, or as one in letters to this one fool, they're brought essentially to the place uh, where they're, where he's going to die. Verse 23 talks about how his liver is being shot, um, or verse 23, until an arrow pierces through his liver, as bear hastens to a snare, so does he not know it will cost him his life. Um, being shot in the liver with an arrow back then is like a, it's a, it's a, it's a death shot, like you can't make it out of that, it's a kill shot. Um, and this phrase, birds hasten to snare, Back then, uh, in, in the Old Testament time, how they would catch a bird is that they'll put all these seeds in the ground, usually near like a cliff, and then there will be people on the top of the cliff with these weighted nets, and they put all the seeds in the ground, they, when they see birds come, then they, throw, they just throw the net, this huge net, over the cliff, and it's just going to land on the birds. And that's what this picture is, that he's being trapped. He saw something that he liked, he went after it, and then he's uh, now ensnared by it. The point of verse 22 and 23 is that this fool doesn't know that by uh, going and being with this adulterer, that it's going to cost him his life. This person stops giving, uh, stops, this person stops giving up his will uh, to God's word, but instead is giving his own will to the sin, which will lead him to destruction. Some of you, what is worse than actual death from sexual sin is the, is the consequences of moral failure. What is actually worse than that is a sexual sin leads to spiritual death. Um, there's a book I read, it's called uh, Temptations by, Puritan, by John Owen. And he, he's, when it comes to consequences of sin, he does how he describes it. Some will 
be utterly destroyed and perish for forever. Others will be will get wounds to their souls that will that shall never be thoroughly healed when they live in this world. Some of you, you need to you probably have fallen in different ways and in different degrees, um, and you aren't. And there's no way to to get uh, to undo that, um, and that's okay because God is gracious. He is willing to forgive you. If you live, if you strive to live for Him, you understand that all your sins are nailed to the cross, and that should give us a greater love and appreciation for the Lord that will keep us from falling into any sexual sin again. But for this fool, he doesn't have that. This the story ends with this fool losing his life. Now we get into the epilogue, the last four verses, the epilogue, and this is what I would title the pleading reminder. Solomon says in verse twenty-four. Um, now, therefore, my son, listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her path, for many are the victims she has cast down and numerous her slain. Her house is the way to shield, descending to the chambers. This epilogue here is like, this is the moral of the story. Uh, Solomon here is now coming back to reality, telling his son that you need... <coughs> to listen to my words so you can stay away from the adulterer. He's trying to unmask the dangers, the dangerous reality and the, un, and the ugliness of sexual sin. The, narr- the, narr- the narration is over and now he's explaining and reminding him the importance of a living a pure life. Again, he says, my sons, it goes back to plural now, just like last week when he says my, like the future sons, he's, he's talking to every future king here, not just Rehoboam, but he's hoping that every son afterwards uh, will heed this warning. He wants all of them to hear this. He wants them all to, to find a, a good wife to guard himself from the adulterer. He's repeating himself to the point where this rep- he, he wants to repeat himself so that people know to look to God. Verse 25, uh, it's more than just a suggestion. It's emphatic. It's imperative. Stay away from her. Do not let your heart be turned and fall away. Stray, uh, do not stray into her path. These are commands. He's telling the son that they are never to let their hearts turn to her ways and stray into her path. You notice in verse 26 that for many are the victims she has cast down. This word slain here is a picture of warfare. Uh, she has, she's killed m- multiple peoples, numerous. She never has just one victim. Part of the lie of those that want you to fall into sexual sin is that they believe that you are so special that there will be no one else like you. But in reality, there was probably a few people before, and there will definitely be people after you. Um, you aren't special to the adulterer. You're just another victim. Christians are called to wear the armor of God to resist the temptations of the evil one. Uh, we're called to flee from sexual sin and pursue what is pleasing to the Lord. And we must strive to live a pure life, but we, it must come from a heart. Verse 27, it says, her house is the way to shield, descending to the chambers of death. Being with the, adult, the adulterer will lead to death. In the context, it can mean both physical and spiritual death. Solomon's appeal to his son is to be very cautious about those that are trying to lure you into, uh, into committing sexual sins with them. We, may teach, we, we must teach our heart to resist sexual sin. We need to guard our minds. Uh, there's no such thing as a, as a delete button in your, in your mind or in your memory. Um, you need to learn from the, the way of this fool on what not to do. Uh, learn to stay away from the adulterer. Distance yourself from sexual sin. Be mindful of the adulterer's tactics. Don't be naive and think that you're safe. Don't think that, well, if I just do this once, it's going to be all fine. 
form that she will appear in the place that you're actually expecting. It will try to do with pleasures and it'll try and it'll force and try to force you to give into her. God's grace in these two chapters, uh, first from before we've studied these last two weeks, it just shown it just really shows that for some of us has fallen, there's a there's grace in the Lord. Some of us have fallen in again in different degrees, but let the kindness of the Lord be the desire uh, that you have to live a, pure, a life of purity. The gospel is greater and bigger than any sin that you can fall into, and forgiveness is available to those who have failed in this area. How you can redeem this scenario or this situation in your life is to, is to ask God to redeem you through the blood of the Son. Um, as Christians, we want to be pure. We want to use our bodies as a way, that, as an act of worship. We need to devote our entire life to them. And the thing that will cause you to fall the most and will just wreck you spiritually is sexual sin. So I hope that this, these, these two chapters guard you to let you know that a mature Christian is ultimately someone that is pure. If you want to grow Christ-likeness, this is one area that you need to win. This is not an optional thing. Um, uh, as we go through each and every single one of these Proverbs, <laughs> these Friday nights, they're all supposed to uh, build upon one another, what makes you a mature person. But I decided two weeks to devote to this topic because this is the one that will ruin everything. Um, if, you don't, if you fail in this area, everything else is going to just crumble as well. And I hope that you will find um, joy in the Lord that will guard you from sexual sin. Let's close our time in prayer. Lord God, we ask you for grace. We know that the world is filled with temptations and sometimes not even the world, just even within our, our devices that we have. Uh, we live in a world that's just so, sin is just so easily accessible, but we know it all stems from our own heart. Give us a, a heart that loves you, that hates sin, and may we strive holy lives that are pleasing to you. Thank you for this time that we have and thank you for sending your son dying for us. Uh, and washing us clean, um, even though we might have failed tons of times before, uh, and we probably might fail um, more in the future. Uh, we know that you, you, your blood cleanses us, all, of, us of all. And I mean, we be thankful and appreciative of what you've done and not take it for granted um, and to love you more because of it so that we can fight sin and say no to sin and say yes to holiness. Guard our hearts and our minds, and we thank you in your son's name. Amen.